Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Teardown. My name is Jeff Bluff, and I'm with my coworker George Bianchi. We are writers at the Athletic, and today is our last of the four uh, season recap sort of podcasts that we've been doing since the season ended. I believe this is the fourth week weekend already, Jordan, since the season ended. That's kind of bizarre, right? Yeah, it's been a month now. If I, right? I mean, the season ended what the first weekend in, Jan- in uh, November, and here we are in December. So, yeah, it's it's crazy. It it feels like forever ago that the season ended, and it also just feels like it was last week. I know it's so <laughs> so strange. Uh, this has just been the weirdest feeling off season, and you know we we were even uh, I think talking about it via text this week about how, um, you know, also you know not only did the season end early, you know, with the whole Thanksgiving part of it, but we never sort of had like that traditional debrief with the drivers that you get at the banquet where, um, you know, like typically at the start of champions week, all 16 playoff drivers are available. And so, um, you know, you've, you've talked to the champion in the final four, obviously through that whole playoff run, but to get all the key players back again and really sort of digest the season, um, this year, the season just ended, you know, um, and that was it. And you had uh, NBC did their little TV thing um, for the awards. Uh, but we, we never really had sort of like that. All right, let's let's, you know, have this sort of exit interview. And uh, I don't know, it's just sort of weird that way. It's just it's just this whole year obviously has felt different. But this was just another example. But uh, we will, you know, this we'll recap uh, the season one more time in this episode. We're going to talk about. Um, matchups, go back to something I wrote before the year and, and see how it turned out. Um, then just a programming note, we're going to take next week off. Um, and then we'll be back the week before Christmas for another podcast. And then I'm not sure if we have one before new year's, but, um, so next week will be the first one we miss, but we'll be back the week after that. So just, just one, a one week pause. Um, and regroup a little bit and we'll start shifting into the next year look ahead talk um, after this podcast. So anyway, um, so uh, Jordan, before this season, um, I wrote a uh, post about um, fun with matchups. So I, I looked at six matchups that were, were going to be like somebody was replacing somebody in a car. So, you know, how are they going to do versus this person or how is this person going to do against themselves? Um, things like that. So I, I want to walk through them. Um, I know you've had a chance to look at it maybe a little bit and, uh, this should be interesting, right? I think so. I mean, I think it's always fun to go and go back and look at what you thought was going to happen then compare it to what actually happened. And sometimes you hit it right on the head and then sometimes you're thinking, Oh man, what the heck was I thinking? Of that? So, and I think there's some really good comparisons, you know, looking at what you wrote back in January. Um, I think this is going to be a fun uh, discussion. Okay. So let's jump right into the first one. So, um, at the start of the year, we knew that Christopher Bell 
was coming into the series. He's going to go in the 95 car and be a rookie. He was replacing Matt Benedetto, who only had one year in that car and then got shuffled out. Fortunately for Benedetto, he ended up at uh, Wood Brothers in the 21. Um, but there was a real question there of who was going to do better because um, Paul Menard had only finished 19th in the 21 car um, for the last two seasons, 19th in points. Um, De Benedetto was 22nd in points um, in the 95. So it was like, okay, it was Bell going to have a better season, De Benedetto. Uh, ultimately, it was De Benedetto. Wasn't really close. De Benedetto made the playoffs. Um, what were your observations about what happened with this comparison? I thought it was a good move for both of these drivers. And, you know, Matt get, got himself aligned with a, a team in the Wood Brothers, which is basically a fourth Penske car and really an opportunity to take that next step and to demonstrate that he can be a competitive race-winning driver. Obviously, his performance this year compared to Paul Menard, what Paul Menard did the year before, was head and shoulders above it. He took the Wood Brothers to the playoffs. But on the from the Christopher Bell perspective, I think Christopher Bell turned in a very good year. And he, did he come close to winning like you know Matt did the year before with with the line family racing no but he had a lot of good runs um, but he you know he's a rookie he had some young mistakes that that typically happen and I think the fact that you take into account everything that was going on with Levine family racing and them you know making the decision to disband and that probably impacted I, I know it did it impacted how things were going on down the stretch and I think if you can take a step back and realize that you know, Christopher Bell had a really good rookie year and he was laying the foundation for bigger things to come um, that, you know, unfortunately it's not going to happen with Levine Family Racing. I think you can say that this was a win-win for both. Yeah, so, I mean, ultimately De Benedetto um, uses his veteran experience and a good car to, you know, beat Bell in, in really every every category. Oh, De Benedetto finished 13th in points. I mean, he eked into the playoffs, but then, you know, as you as you know, you can move up and down in the playoffs. Um, so he, he was 13th in points. Um, he had uh, one more top five than Bell, and he had four more top tens. He also had a way better average finish, 14.8 versus 20.2. But what's interesting is um, De Benedetto also had a better year in some ways than Bell did um, in the 95 last year. Um, or sorry, the, De Benedetto's 95 season in 2019 last year is what I'm talking about. Um, Bell was higher in points, but... Bell had a one less top five than De Benedetto did. He also had a lower average finish. They were tied in top ten. So, um, you know, by putting Bell in that car, you didn't actually see too much of an improvement aside from moving up a couple spots in points. So, I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Um, let's move on to the next one, and we talked a little bit about it next uh, last week, but it was uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. versus Chris Busher. Uh, the question was who was going to have a better season this year um, because we, you know, the, it was sort of like unknown as far as, okay, Stenhouse, they were basically a direct trade. Um, it didn't mean to happen that way, but it happened that way. Busher moving to Roush, Stenhouse moving to JTG. Um, what were your observations about this one? I, I thought going into the year, I thought it was going to be a slam dunk. I, I thought Chris, Chris Busher and Roush Fenway Racing were really kind of set themselves up. And we, we touched on it last week in the podcast where I thought they were going to be a fringe playoff team, or at least be in the mix and the conversation to get a, a playoff spot. And that didn't happen for a lot of different reasons. Roush Fenway Racing had just a disappointing year across the board with both their teams 
Um, the performance wasn't there. The speed wasn't there. Um, Chris at times had some good runs, but just, again, they were just missing something. And I don't know. I, I look in, I, I thought Ricky Stenhouse Jr. going to JTG Doherty Racing was going to be a challenge and it kind of played out how as I expected this year where they had there were some good runs they had you know they were in contention at some races um, but there was kind of the 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 typical issues that you see with with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. which is him you know wrecking equipment and not putting together consistently you know stringing together good finishes so to me this is kind of a push yeah I mean I don't want to you know, hammer on this too much again, because we talked about it last week when I was saying that Roush was one of my underachievers of the year. But on the other hand, Busher um, really did best Stenhouse um, in every way this year. Uh, Busher 21st in points, Stenhouse 24th. Um, now Stenhouse did have one more top five finish, but Busher doubled him in top tens. Um, and he had a, a much better average finish than Stenhouse did this year. Um, although, his own average finish was down from his JTG numbers, which I, I talked about last week. But Busher also, if you even want to compare to Stenhouse last year, Busher moved up two spots and points with that car um, and got more top fives, uh, more top tens, and again, the better average finish. So um, really, Busher wins this this category really pretty much no matter how you look at it, aside from Busher's own performance dropped off. But when you're comparing to Stenhouse, um, he did, I think, elevate it, even though the, the team was off. Um, the next the next comparison is a real interesting one, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. So um, we have Cole Custer versus 2019 Daniel Suarez at Stuart Haas Racing in the same car that Custer was in. Now, obviously, Cole Custer wins a race, which gets him into the playoffs, which got him a Rookie of the Year automatically. Uh, he ends up finishing 16th in points. But However, in the sort of traditional point standings that uh, still kept by racing reference. Thank you. Thankfully, uh, which is such a great site. Um, Cole Custer would have been 20th in points. If you look at it, uh, Daniel Suarez, his 2019 season uh, 17th in points. So in member Suarez barely sort of missed the playoffs um, last year. So Custer, you know, we can dive more into this here. How do you compare those guys? It, it's tough because it, to me, when you're comparing a rookie to somebody who has more experience, it's always going to be challenged because rookies are going to tend to have those ups and downs, and they're going to have those you know races where they make mistakes and end up crashing out. And we saw that this year with Cole Custer. He had a, you know what five or six races this year where he ended up crashing out, and there were some lows, but there were some highs. And you know, to me, I, I think the win at Kentucky, you, you obviously can't overlook that. And what he did and how he did it was was so darn impressive, you know, on that restart and going out and beating Harvick and Truex and Blaney and, and just beating those guys straight up. That, that, that was impressive. I mean, he earned that win. But I will say this. I, I do feel like if you would have kept Daniel Suarez in that 41 car for another year and given him a second year with that team and a second year with Stuart Haas Racing, I think he would have turned in a better year than Cole Custer did. And I think Daniel Suarez had a very good chance to win a race. And so it's unfortunate. And to me, it speaks for a bigger thing is, you know, I look at Daniel Suarez and where he's at in his career. And to me, this is a driver. If you put him in a competitive equipment, I think he can do a very good job. And I think he can win races. But are those opportunities now gone? And it certainly feels like it. Well, I totally agree with you. I mean, if, if Suarez had stayed in the 41, um, that car, you know, I, I he certainly would have had a better year because he had a better year in 2019 um, than Custer did in, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, you look at the diving into the, the stats here. 
Um, I mean, a 16.4 average finish for Suarez in 2019. Um, that's more than three places better than, than Custer did this year. Um, you know, he, he doubled the, uh, the amount of top fives that Custer had. He had four more top tens. Um, really, arguably, he had a better season in 2019 than in every way than Custer did, except obviously Custer, again, had that fantastic restart. Um, I mean, look at the laps led. Custer, five laps led this season. Daniel Suarez in that same car a year before, 166 laps led. So, I mean, it's not a huge amount, but you know, you're talking about a car that was in uh, contention to make the playoffs on points and, you know, versus a car that, that barely made the top 20, uh, would have made the top 20 without that win. So, um, yeah, that's, I, I just think Suarez, it would have been really interesting to see how he developed with another year in that car, obviously didn't get that chance. And, uh, you know, we'll see if Custer's able to improve now that he's not a rookie. And you, again, your, your comparison's correct, or your your evaluation of that. Anytime you have a rookie involved, it's it's harder. But um, anyway, we'll we'll talk about another rookie coming up in a little bit. But first, let's talk about Team Penske. So another big question going into this year: um, all three of the Team Penske uh, drivers, crew chiefs, switched, and it was going to be like, who's the best combination out of these? Um, I was thinking that uh, Ryan Blaney was going to end up pretty well off. Um, maybe Joey Logano. The one I didn't think would have a very good year was Brad Keselowski. Didn't really, uh, wasn't too high on Jeremy Bullins. That turned out to be very much incorrect. Brad Keselowski had the best year um, in every category. Wins, top fives, top tens, average finish, and laps led. What happened there, Jordan? It's crazy to think about because I never when this happened, the consensus was that if you were going to rank the, the three Penske drivers and how, where they're at with their new crew chiefs, I think we, I think the consensus was that, like you said, Brad Keselowski was third and we're kind of scratching our heads a little bit going, is this, this, is this a move? What, what does this mean? Is there something deeper going on here? Brad's a free agent. Um, you know, is, you know, his performance wasn't that bad, you know, the year before, why, why making this change? And, it actually worked out really well, and you know, interesting to hear Brad's comments throughout the year of kind of it kicked him in the butt, and he admitted that, and that was kind of the 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 motivation to to make you know small improvements and be better. And at the end of the year, I look at this and say, I think all three drivers are in a better spot than they were at the beginning of the year. The Joey Logano Paul Wolf combination, I think, is is very very good. It's a it's a very good crew chief with a with a championship driver, and it gives Joey a different outlook and. Brad got that motivation, and the the Blaney component is interesting, and we we've talked about this so much is that it, it felt like they had a they should have had a better year than they did, and that they maybe let some wins get away. But I think when you step back and you look at it, and they still had a very very good year, and I think it also speaks to we were we were pretty I was pretty wrong about my assessment about what were. Penske was at at the in January and what they were doing and I, I didn't necessarily thought I didn't think this was a good move and I in retrospect I think they nailed it. Well, I mean they end up putting two drivers in the final four with Kozlowski and Logano and as you said, I mean Blaney started the way he started off the season. We were talking oh you know championship threat and all that stuff only for him to go out in the first round. I mean the consensus really had been especially from Blaney fans, uh, oh you know Jeremy Bullins is is holding Ryan Blaney back. Um, and then we also kind of always wondered, well, what's Kozlowski without Paul Wolf? I wonder what would happen there. Well, I mean, Kozlowski certainly answered that question. Um, 
for him to go out and do have the season he did. I mean, especially I, I think the there was almost sort of whispers of like, wow, I can't believe they're putting Bullens with Keselowski. Are they trying to push Keselowski out the door? Yeah, you know, exactly. Um, like, are they trying to say, hey, you're a free agent and we're not really investing in you anymore by giving you this guy? And then he goes out and, and leads the team. So I think that really says a lot about Keselowski, um, his ability, his talent um, for, you know, for him to go do that. Uh, and obviously Jeremy Bullens as well. I mean, I, certainly we were wrong about him if, if he had that capability. Absolutely. Um, so apologies for that. Um, you know, Joey Logano statistically wasn't too far behind Kozlowski, though. He had one less win, one fewer top five, three less top tens. His average finish was off a little bit, but they were only apart by 13 laps led, 952 versus um, 939. So, you know, I, again, I, I think that's they were pretty close. Blaney was the one who was sort of far off there. And as we talked about last week, I, I had him as one of my underachievers. His average finish actually uh, declined a little bit, and he had one fewer top 10 than last year, which, again, the way they started out, really surprising. So we'll see what happens um, next year with them. Now, another rookie um, we've talked about, uh, rookies earlier, we have Tyler Reddick, his rookie season versus 2019 Daniel Hemrick. Now, it wasn't going to be too hard to improve on Daniel Hemrick's disastrous uh, rookie season there. Uh, that was really unfortunate for him. Uh, 25th in points. Everything went wrong for Daniel Hemrick uh, in 2019 at RCR. And Tyler Reddick did come out and have a pretty solid season, Jordan. He did. Really impressive. And I, and I mentioned this last week. I mean, if we were going to you know, vote for Rookie of the Year, he would have gotten my vote. Really impressive. I feel like he elevated that team, and I know Richard Childress Racing across the board with Austin Dillon. They they made they made gains this year. They were helped by Chevrolet coming out with the redesigned car, but they were a better organization. But I still feel like if you look at what Tyler Reddick did this year, that the performance that he exhibited was head and shoulders above what that team was doing the year before, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. He was really impressive. Turned in a lot of good runs, and to me. He delivered to RCR exactly what I thought he was, and it sets them up very well going forward where he 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 is the real deal, and he showed that if you can give him a, a decent car, he knows what to do with it and get it up front. So I was very impressed by them, and I thought it, it, it just speaks to me. You know, there's sometimes you hear the what what does a driver do? What does the difference a driver make? And in this case, I do think the, the, the difference in drivers made a big difference. Yeah, and uh, you know RCR was improved as well. I mean, you see in, in Austin Dillon's performance, uh, you know he ran better, and Reddick was able to run with Dillon, which is you know anytime you can run with a veteran teammate as a rookie, that's impressive. Mm -hmm. um, Reddick finished nineteenth in points, which was six six spots better than Hemrick. But I also want to point out Hemrick, um, you know his average finish in that car versus Reddick. Reddick improved that car's average finish by five spots, 22.5 to 17.5. Yeah, you rarely see um, either way, you know, a, a car move five positions in average finish um, in one year. And what was the real astounding stat to me, um, Tyler Reddick had 22 lead lap finishes this season. And in Hemrick's season, 2019, he only had nine lead lap finishes. So, I mean... To add that many lead lap finishes, more than double, uh, really, that's that's saying a lot. Oh, I mean, almost two and a half times more when you're looking at it. Um, so that's uh, pretty crazy. Um, and and I, I don't 
I don't uh, fault him. I think Hemrick's a good driver. You know, I think he's a capable driver. I think a lot went against him. Everything snowballed. Um, but Reddick is is really talented, and he's going to be uh, a star for a long time. I think he's um, he's he's really impressive. I think Hemrick can still have a nice career and redeem himself for sure, though. Absolutely, absolutely, so. I, I, absolutely. He he has to win a race. I mean that that it comes down to is the fact is he's never won a NASCAR National Series race before in his career. And that is something he needs to do. And we, I think he's talented. I think you put him in the right situation. He can do some big things for you. But at some point, you have to take that potential and turn it into results. And we're still waiting for that. And Tyler Reddick is, is a difference maker. And he showed it this year. Yeah. So the last uh, sort of matchup question that I listed, uh, this, by the way, this article is January 7th. So pretty early on. I mean, Speed Weeks, that wasn't even close to starting yet. Uh, still so many unknowns. And, um, the, the last one was Jimmy Johnson, 2019 versus Jimmy Johnson, 2020. I said, I was sure that the, the numbers had to improve. I mean, that seemed 2019 seemed like sort of a low point for Jimmy. Uh, it was the first time he had missed the playoffs. Uh, remember he had never missed the playoffs. He was the one driver who had never missed the playoffs, um, until 2019. Ultimately he ends up missing the playoffs for his last two seasons uh, very similar season, Jordan. I mean, he was 18th in points, 2019 and 2020. His average finish 2019 was 17.4. This year, it improved to 17.3. Um, his top fives did go up this year, but he had a career low top tens, only 10. Um, so, uh, you know, kind of a wash. Pretty much the same seasons, basically you know, sort of ended his career in the, in the, in the decline that he had been in, you know, it is. And it's a driver, you know, who this arrow package, this, this rules package is not set up for his skill set, And I think it, you could see that in a lot of races this year where it was a struggle for him to kind of get a grips of the car and how things were materializing on, you know, during throughout the race. And it was a struggle and it continued to be a struggle. And it's kind of been that way for the last few years. It started really in 2017, you know, towards the end of that year. And then it carried over into 18 and it just kind of kept going downward. It's, it's unfortunate, but that's the reality of the situation. And to me, what changed this year too was, you know, last year the conversation was, you know, what's wrong with Hendrick Motorsports? You know, you know, they're getting outpaced. They're getting beat on a weekly basis this year. And they weren't consistently uh, excellent this year we, you know, we've talked about it they were up and down they started the year kind of strong and then during the summer there was kind of a little bit of a leg and then during the playoffs obviously there was an upswing but Chase Elliott looked I mean Chase Elliott won the championship won five races and was excellent through really largely most of the year Alex Bowman was pretty good for the mo- a good chunk of the year as well though he had a little bit of a, a dip there in the summer but they both were in contention on a regular basis, you know, leading laps up front. William Byron, it was a struggle for him for a lot of different reasons. Young driver, not a lot of seat time, um, no practice, no qualifying, I really think hurt him. But he still made the playoffs, and yet Jimmy Johnson, who's the most experienced out of these guys and who should be able to kind of figure things out, it, it, it just was a struggle. And this year, you really couldn't say and, and point the finger at Hendrick Motorsports and say, well, they their cars weren't very good because that wasn't the case. Well, look, I mean, Jimmy Johnson uh, obviously continues to be in great shape, but he's 45 years old. And as we've talked about so often, the, the David Smith stat um, that a driver's peak age is 39. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I, you know, it takes anything away from Jimmy's legacy that toward the end of his career, 
um, as he got into his forties and has already accomplished so much that, um, he just, he wasn't, he didn't have the same performance, but when you look back at his stats, um, aside from these last few years, I mean, it's just a reminder of how much we took for granted his greatness, his excellence. I mean, the first 12 years of his career, he never finished worse than sixth in points and he made it look so easy. And, and in nine of those first 12 years, he was third or better in points, including six titles um, in those first 12 years, uh, and, and, and in addition to a couple runner-up finishes and points. So, I mean, it's just like, man, we, we're just like, oh, yeah, you know, there's just so good, it's just so easy, and we just always thought it'd be automatic. And even they, remember, you know, they would have sort of like a midsummer slump, even some of their championship years, and be like, oh, maybe this is the year where they start to fall <laughs> off, and they'd be like, you know, no big deal. He hasn't won in 13 races, and he'd sort of laugh and say, okay, if that's if that's bad, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. And so you always sort of thought, well, they would be fine. Uh, they will come back. They will get it together. But again, ultimately, uh, doesn't win in his last three and a half seasons or whatever. And, uh, you know, as you pointed out, his teammates this year, when, when you have a teammate that wins five races in the championship, your other two teammates also win a race, uh, and you, you can't get it. You can't make the playoffs. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just tough, but, um, we'll see how he's able to do an IndyCar, um, you know, it's a whole different game there. I, I do think that this rules package was really sort of the biggest culprit for taking away what, what he was really good at with his skill set, like you said. So, um, yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on these matchups before we move on to the next, uh, topic here, Jordan? No, nothing. I thought it was interesting. Just kind of look back and uh, to recap where we, like I said, at the beginning is where we thought things, we, what we thought was going to happen versus what actually did transpire. Yeah. Well, before we do hit the next topic, I want to tell you guys about um, the latest offer um, on The Athletic. Obviously, the the Black Friday offer has now expired, and even though that was extended for podcasts, um, that's the time is up on that one. But I got a lot of messages from people who listen to the podcast, and they said, hey, thanks for the link. I subscribed off that. I was able to take advantage of off, off that. So um, very happy to hear that. Uh, the latest uh, promotion that's going to be starting Monday the 7th. So we're recording this Sunday. This will be coming out uh, tomorrow morning if you're happening to listen to this uh, today, but you're probably listening to this during the week anyway. So it's probably live right now. Um, and that is uh, a buy one, gift one offer for The Athletic. So uh, this is, you can get um, one price for The Athletic. You you pay your price, but you get um, a gift subscription that you can give to someone for this holiday season. It's, it's two different accounts. Um, you don't have to be on the same team, you know, as far as picking your selections on the athletic. Um, it's just, you get a a subscription to the athletic and you get one, uh, for free. So, um, this could be, uh, your, your dad, a relative friend, whatever. Um, you just, you buy one and you get one free. It's a gift. So the way you get that is you go to theathletic.com slash the teardown. And I believe this offer will be um, on that link through the entire uh, holiday season. So anytime Hanukkah, Christmas coming up, whatever, and you want to give a gift um, and get one for yourself as well. Um, they, they don't have to know that you got a free one. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, that's theathletic.com slash the teardown. Um, Jordan, one more predictions post. And, and I actually did a, a post, um, following up on this, this week. Um, so 
I don't, I don't want to go too far into it because, um, we already did a whole post about it, but I had done another predictions post before the season and it was really fun to look back on the answers because I got zero out of five. Correct. Um, our winner, Ali Osman out of the, uh, I think there was about 80 people who made their predictions in the comments. I had people, I asked people to make their predictions. Uh, Ali Osman got three out of the five. Correct. It was pretty hard. I mean, so he was the only person who got, um, more than half correct. Um, so let's, let's breeze through these really quick and just laugh at some of the, the predictions, I guess. <laughs> um, so the, the first one was who will replace Jimmy Johnson in the number 48 car. Now it wasn't, the question wasn't who will, who will replace Jimmy Johnson at Hendrick. Yeah. It was the number 48 car. So the actual correct answer was Bowman technically, you know what I mean? I, I, yeah, it's a technicality, but I feel like if you said Kyle Larson, I still think you should get credit for this. So I decided to give people half credit for that. Do you think that's fair? I gave them a half no, a point. No, they think they deserve full credit, honestly. I mean, I, I get, I mean, technically, yeah, I mean, Alex Bowman's the 48, but I think I, I, I it's it, it, the if you look at it as like a roster, Kyle Larson took Jimmy Johnson's spot on Hendricks' roster. That's it. Okay, I, I might have agreed with you, but here's the thing. Adam S, our reader Adam S, in the comments said, this is kind of cheating on this answer, but Bowman will move to the 48 and a fully funded car. He said that on January 3rd. So I wanted to give him a full point for that. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure, that's fair. So, you should buy a lottery ticket too, by the way. I mean, that was a that's a pretty darn good, uh, I mean, who would have thought? Now, you, I will say, I mean, clearly... Hendrick wanted Larson the whole time. You you wrote way back. Hendrick wants Larson. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and when you know, I'm sure he got him at a nice discount once uh, the racial slur happened and and Larson was fired and all that stuff. So and and I think that Ally uh, had Larson not sort of been toxic to sponsors in a way. Um, Ally probably would have put him right in that car, no problem. But um, I think you know that's why Bowman ends up in the 48. Um, I had predicted that Blaney would get that ride stupid. I mean, little did we know that, um, Blaney had already had discussions with Penske by December and was, you know, signed immediately, you know, I read pretty much right after the new year happened. Um, but Blaney was the most picked driver for this question. Jordan, 17% of the people said Blaney was going to get the 48 followed by Eric Jones. Um, yep. and then Larson was next. Guess who was fourth for the fourth most picked driver here? Uh, was it Brad Keselowski? Noah Gregson. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, that's funny because his name got kicked around a little bit this summer by some people. I, and nothing serious by any means, but it was, you know, he had a good Xfinity year and I was just, but again, it was like, that's a, that's a big jump for Noah Gregson. He's just not ready for that yet. Yeah. There was a lot of, uh, guesses that just didn't come true. I mean, we just didn't know a lot of the time. I mean, Daniel Suarez got multiple votes for this. Ryan Priest got a vote. Um, Hemrick, Chastain. Yeah. I mean, people were all over the place with this. There was 20 different yeah. drivers who were guessed. So it, 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 to me, this is, it's, I don't know if funny is the right word, but it just, it, when this all transpired a year ago and, you know, Jimmy announced his retirement, it was, you know, Kyle Larson was the guy, like that was it. Like the, he is the guy that Hendrick wants. They're going to go after him. It just made a lot of sense. It checked a lot of boxes. And as we just talked about it, we eventually got to that point. It's just how we got there, though. The windy road, man. It was that was a that was a journey. I always kind of thought Larson would be the, the reason. I thought 
Blaney. I, I always thought Larson would want to go to the 14 and to Stewart, which, hey, that could have been a possibility. But um, Stewart wrote, I think, in an Instagram comment response to somebody, which is a weird way to find things out. But, um, you know, they, they said something like, you should have gotten Larson in that 14 car after they signed Briscoe. And I think St- Tony Stewart wrote back to them and said, well, I tried, but Ford wouldn't approve it. Um, so I think maybe after the whole uh, racial slur thing, um, maybe it was easier to, to Hendrick was able to convince Chevy easier than Stewart was able to convince Ford. I don't really know all the details, but um, maybe that's a, a part of that as well. So who knows? But um, question number two, I asked people, I asked, will Johnson win a race in his last season? We've talked about this a lot. I said, sure. Yes, he has to. Um, unfortunately, uh, that, that wasn't the case. I think that would have been a very popular win. A lot of people voted with their heart on this one, uh, as did I, I guess. I mean, two-thirds of the people who responded said he would win a, a race this season. Um, just didn't happen. Uh, yeah. Question three. Um, this one really was an unfair question because I, I was asking people, how, how will fans view the next-gen car? I told people, this is January 3rd, I wrote this, I said, in December, I will do a poll asking you what you think of the next-gen car. Will it be positive, negative, or, or too soon to tell, neutral? And uh, But of course, we thought, we didn't know there was a pandemic coming, and we didn't know that the car would be on hold, and, and the whole testing and all that stuff, the hype for it would be on hold. Um, so, you know, the, the average predictions here uh, from fans were 39% positive, 28% negative and 22% undecided. Um, obviously with the pandemic, many, many more said it was too soon to tell 45% said it's too uh, undecided. But what was really surprising to me, Jordan, I would be curious to hear your thoughts on this of the people who did weigh in 46.8% of, of the people in this recent poll this week had a positive view of the car. Only 7.7% have a negative view of the next gen car right now. I thought that was fascinating, particularly Twitter. You would think people would jump on it right away and say, I don't like this. I don't like that. But people are either holding their opinions or they feel good about it. It's interesting. I think there is a lot of optimism about this car. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of positive talk from the drivers, from teams, from NASCAR um, about this car. And I think people are buying into that and that what this is going to do in terms of the competition on the racetrack, what this is going to do for the economics of the sport, um, allowing NASCAR to, to maybe go to some different tracks, like a street course or something. So it's it, like you said, it, it's interesting to see that the reaction is so uh, positive because it's not something you typically see on social media. Right. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what actually happens with this car. And my concern with this car on a lot of different fronts is I, I think it's a good thing. I really do. But our expectation is going to be too high, and no matter what the car does on the racetrack or off the racetrack in terms of costs and everything, um, is there no way that this is actually going to be able to fulfill people's expectations? Yeah, well, certainly it's going to come in. I mean, the hype's only going to grow, yeah. um, and the expectations for it are, are massive. I think that, though, that the expectations are as much to change the business model as anything, and so... Um, that will be, you know, what's to be determined long term. The the racing itself, I, I mean, I don't see how it's going to be some just magic thing. I think they're mostly going to be the same direction as they are now. So if people think it's going to be some huge change, I don't, I don't really see that. We'll we'll be able to tell more 
with more testing as this this uh, next year comes up. Um, next year, uh, sorry, the, the uh, 2021 schedule, we were trying to predict what would happen. Um, you know, we had been told uh, before that came out, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be the radical shakeup. This is going to be the time when the schedule really gets shaken up because all the sanction agreements are done. Those five-year agreements they did in 2015. Um, so, you know, this is going to be massive, right? That's what we were told. So, uh, I asked which of these seven things are likely going to happen. Um, number one will, and, and I asked people to rate how many of them would happen. Uh, number one, will NASCAR add more short tracks? Um, will NASCAR add more road courses? Will there be a street circuit? Will cup have a dirt race? Will there be a cup race in Canada? Will NASCAR finally have a midweek race? And will the season be shortened from the current 38 weekends? Uh, Jordan, my guesses for this were there will be another road course, there will be a midweek race, and there will be the removal of three race weekends. Remember the big trend at the time, even before the season was, oh, NASCAR is going to shorten the season. They're going to reduce, yeah. you know, they're going to try to end it in September. They're going to eliminate races, blah, blah, blah. Or there'll be, you know, midweek races. And, and, and obviously they've sort of gone away from that. Um, answering these questions now, Will NASCAR add more short tracks in 2021? Actually, there's less, fewer. Well, oh, yes. No, I mean, Bristol's still a short track. That's not a short track. A dirt race at Bristol is not a short track race. It's under a mile in length. It's a short track. That's a dirt race. That's not a pavement short track race. That doesn't count as a short track race. It's not going to be anything similar <laughs> to any, any, any short track race we know. It's still a short track. It's on a short track. Okay. Well, clearly they didn't add more. The question was, will they add more? The answer was no. Um, so that's a no for number one road, more road courses. Uh, yeah. A lot more road quite courses. Yeah. Um, I love our road courses. Yes. There's, this is becoming uh, quite the road course series. Will there be a street circuit and will cup have a cup? Will, will there be a cup race in Canada? I think this was almost going to be the same question. Yeah. This almost, I mean, this was really talked about that. Hey, maybe NASCAR gets to Toronto. Maybe there's a street circuit mm -hmm. race. Um, COVID really uh, ended any possibility of that. But from what I understand, I mean, this was at least discussed fairly seriously. I mean, I don't know how far down the road it got, but um, it was on the table. I mean, it was certainly something. It was discussed. a possibility. And something they, yeah. yeah, and I think, and it goes. It's going to also apply to the next question, which is about midweek races. Which is, you know, had there not been the pandemic this year, you would have seen a midweek race next year. I mean, that was it. But exactly. We, they, they tried them because they tried them this year and it just didn't have the success that everybody was hoping or thought it would. It just, they, everybody realized maybe we just need to stick to the weekends. Yes. I totally agree with you. Had, had that the experiment not happened with the pandemic, which obviously we didn't see coming when this question was posed. Um, certainly we, I think that they would have, they would have made an appearance. Somebody would have tried it a Wednesday night race or something, but everybody already saw how it worked. The ratings weren't there. And so that's sort of been tabled for now. Uh, will cup have a dirt race? Yes, it will. Um, so that's going to be interesting. And then, uh, will the season be shortened again? Why, why do you think that that sort of disappeared? Yeah. So I think a couple different things. One, the doubleheader weekend races, you know, we had, you know, so this year Pocono was going to have the Saturday, Sunday. And then because of the pandemic, Michigan and Dover also got doubleheader weekend. Didn't quite resonate as people expected it to um it made things more challenging 
And then there's also the television component on this too, is if you're going to shorten the schedule, well, you're not going to eliminate, you're going to have 38 races. You have to. For television purposes, you have to have the inventory that you promise NBC and Fox that you're going to deliver. Otherwise, NASCAR is going to be forfeiting some of that money because the networks are paying for a certain amount of races. So if you're going to have 38 races and not have midweek races, you can't shorten up the schedule. You, you just can't do it unless you're going to have a bunch of doubleheader weekends. But those didn't, like I said, those didn't really resonate with the industry. So if you're going to have 38 races, no midweek races, no doubleheaders, the length of the season is the length of the season. It's going to be 38 weeks. Yeah, but see, I, I agree with you totally. I mean, and, and what, everything you're saying is exactly correct, and I can clearly see it now. But I, at the time, obviously, as recently as January, I was sort of, I think that there had been a lot of chatter that, hey, NASCAR is going to, you know, oh, they're going to cut this down to 34 races or they're going to cut this down 35 races and midweek races. Because remember, there was even talk like, oh, 2021, oh, NASCAR is going to wrap, try to wrap this up by like Labor Day or something at one point. I mean, get out of the way of the NFL. I mean, and I'm not sure how seriously they ever took that, but at least they were saying, hey, let's wrap this up by early October. Um, no, it, there was that was the, the conversation was there, and it was certainly it was you know how do we like you said how do we get out of the way of the NFL, but that conversation turned last last fall I would say if we can't eliminate the number of races that we have each year because again we are contracted to to have a certain number of races and we can't give up that television money right and I, I think so maybe in, maybe in 2024 or, or yeah, after 2024 think, yeah and i think the problem too is is the midweek race thing really i think threw a curveball for everybody and how it didn't resonate and i, I mean I, I'm, a, I'm in this camp i thought it was going to be a home run I, I really did and it didn't and the television ratings weren't there and it's I mean, we, we can write, you can read about it in The Athletic, but, the, you know, Fox was adamant, hey, we want races on the weekends. And so if you can't have races on Wednesdays during the summers, I, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's the, it is what it is. So the, the, the idea was to get out of the way in October, by October, but when you don't have a way to do that, um, I don't know what, you know, it, it, this is the reality it is. Well, and I still think double headers could work. We never really got to see a proper chance yeah. of like a, a race track having uh, double headers with campers enjoying both days and seeing how the fan response would have been and stuff like that. But I can also see where it's, you know, would you rather have double headers at a Michigan, a Dover, Pocono, or would you rather take a race away yeah. and put it at a cooler track or something or a different track to differentiate, mix things up a little bit instead of two at sure. the same place? I'd much rather mix things up. Now, I think you know, in Michigan case, didn't Michigan's race go to Darlington's second race? Yes. So right. that kind of defeats what I'm saying there. And Dover's races went to Nashville. And but I will the, say Nashville's at least a different place, but yeah. Yeah. And I will say this about the double header thing. And this is something, and again, this is an idea that I was, I, I liked. I thought this is great. This is good for people at the racetrack. This is going to be good for TV. Here's what I discovered. And, and I talking to people is, and I'm not trying to, to, let's just be honest. The races at Pocono and Michigan are, okay but if you watch the race on saturday and it was what 300 miles or something let's say you watch those races at michigan and at pocono or dover even was there anything that really compelled you to say wow this is great they're gonna have another race here tomorrow mm, you know well, Mich know. michigan saturday was actually pretty good it and was okay. we it was i fine. remember um maybe i was just giddy from 
being back at the track, but we did our bonus podcast that day. And I was just mm-hmm. like, man, this is great. Wow. Michigan really worked. And then the next day, uh, it w- came out and it was sort of a flop of a race and it was largely the same people up front. Harvick won again, swept it. And it was really not a, a very good race for the Sunday race at all. Whereas the Saturday race had been good, but, um, yeah, so I, 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 I mostly agree with what you're saying, but, um, I don't think we need to see multiple races at the same track in general, let alone on, on the same day, unless it's a really yeah. good track. So agreed. Um, the last question, um, of this thing was, um, will Joe Gibbs racing dominate again? My first sentence in answering this question for the prediction was, I mean, yeah, duh. <laughs> Whoops. You're not, I mean, it's just, that was a smart bet though. I mean, you've got a, you've got Denny Hamlin, you've got Kyle Busch, you've got Martin Truex Jr. And you've got Eric Jones who, who felt like he was going to really kind of make that next step. I mean, there's every reason in the world to think that they're just going to continue to beat up on everybody and win a bunch of races. Who would have thought that Martin Truex Jr. would only win one race and Kyle Busch would only win a one race and Eric Jones would get shut out. It just, it was a, it was a very odd year for Joe Gibbs racing. I think what really threw me off and I still don't, totally understand how this happened the rules package didn't change for the most part i mean yeah you went back on the short tracks and road courses to 750 or whatever right but the rules package was the same thing now chevy got some improvement um but you're just like i don't i don't i i said at the time in january even if the other teams catch up and that costs joe gibbs racing half a dozen wins they're still going to win 13 races where they had won 19 uh, in 2019. You know how many races they won this year? Nine. That's it. Nine yeah. races. Uh, they had yeah. won 19. So a 10-race drop-off, uh, single-digit wins, I really, really didn't see that coming. Uh, really missed the mark on that. Uh, I said they were going to win 15 races. Um, so, so much for that. No, it, it's. I, I think at the time I can understand. I, w- I would have been in the same category. Like They're going to continue on. Retrospect, I think it's safe to say Cole Pern was missed, you know, with the 19 team. Uh, James Small did a good job. Martin Truex Jr. should have won more races than he did. They just, you know, one of those things. You, sometimes you just, things don't go your way and you don't win. He was certainly competitive this year and, and, and should have won more than once. It just didn't happen. But I, I think it's safe to say that Cole Pern would have been there. I, I think their performance would have been much better than it was. And, you know, the Kyle Bush thing, I think we... I know personally. I think we kind of saw him win the we, when we saw him win the championship. That masked a lot of things because it, it 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 kind of glossed over the fact that this was a driver who, before winning at Homestead in 2019, had only won one race over the past what 20 races or something like that. I forgot the number in my head. Yeah, um, but still, and, and I mean, so would it, you have? Yes, we we knew that we acknowledged that, but at the same time, would you have said, "Oh yeah, you know, one year later from Homestead." Uh, Kyle Busch and Adam Stevens will be done. I mean, I, I don't think so. I couldn't have seen that. I, I don't. Think I, I, I didn't see it that. coming. But again, if you're struggling and you've only won one race, and Kyle Busch is your driver, um, I, I think it's tough. I mean, I just it it was things were coming apart then. Yeah. And I think we, you know, and it just and then it really kind of splintered this year with everything going on with the circumstances with COVID and the pandemic and shutdown and no practice and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it, it's. I mean. I've said this a million times. Like Kyle Busch, there's no reason Kyle Busch should not win just one race a year, but that's that happened. A lot of things went against him this year. Well, our picks champion, uh, Ali Osman, 
Uh, again, I, I mentioned him earlier uh, at the top of the show um, or the top of this, this topic conversation topic anyway. Sorry. Um, so, you know, he, I mean, I don't know. This, this is incredible logic here. So he got this right. And this clinched the picks championship for him. And I encourage everybody, I'll do another post like this um, in January. Everybody, chime in. We'll, I'll keep track of it and, and we'll grade it at the end of the year on the athletic. But, um, so Ali said Hendrick won 18 races in 2007 and followed that up by only winning eight races the next season. Okay. So that was the record at the time. So he said, okay, well, JGR had a 19 win season, beat Hendrick's win by one. So they're, they're going to follow up by dropping off and they'll only win. They'll win one more than Hendrick's eight, which was nine. So he got the number exactly right based on that logic. So pretty good. A lot more, uh, you know, better logic than I had in missing all five of these questions. So there you go. <laughs> um, Jordan, again, we will skip next week's podcast. So no podcast next week um, on December 13th, but we will be back uh, December 20th that week, the week leading up to Christmas for another podcast uh you know now we're gonna turn our attention we're gonna have a one week sort of cut off here we've done four season recap podcasts um you guys are probably tired of talking about the season that was but we had some fun with it we did the uh top we did the the best races um and then we looked at the best and worst races uh we looked at the um funniest moments of the season and we did the uh, overachievers and underachievers. And then we look back at some of these predictions that we made before. So, um, four weeks of these season recap podcasts. Now we're going to turn our attention to 2021 and be looking ahead, um, in the, the podcast to come. So, uh, again, thank you as always for listening, everybody. We love the feedback we get, um, whether it's people sending a text or DM or, or a tweet, um, it's cool to see the feedback and it's nice to know people are listening to this it makes us feel good so uh, thanks to you as always and we will talk to you in a couple weeks on the Terror Day.